electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is the American Greed Podcast, presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. In this episode of American Greed, a well-dressed bank robber with plenty of flair. The FBI thought of that as Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction. And a menacing violent streak. He would pull out a gun, point it at the tellers, and say, I will kill you if you don't get me into the vault. The feds linked Joseph Jose Banks to 20 bank robberies, totaling millions of dollars in losses. He was probably the most successful bank robber in recent memory in the Chicago area. But from a cell in a high-rise jail, he shows the world he won't be caged. The fact that you had people willing to carve their way out of a facility and to rappel down a building in the middle of the downtown, it's almost too perfect an escape plan to have worked that properly, but it did. It's a cold December day at this Citibank branch on Chicago's north side. Jim Love is working inside when he notices a strangely attired man approaching. He's walking in full suit, Afro wig, and sunglasses on, and my first reaction was to laugh, going, good luck with, with this guy. I mean, I'm glad I don't have to deal with him. It soon becomes clear that this is no laughing matter. My next real memory is suddenly seeing a flash. It's this big blur of Afro wig, brown clothing. And within a matter of seconds, I turn around and there's a big silver gun in my face telling me to get down on the floor. The robber orders the employees to open the bank's ATMs and its vault, then subdues a customer who happens to wander in. Speaking gruffly and trying to move fast, the robber hits Love with his gun and another employee collapses in apparent distress. All I thought was, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I didn't want to die, and I felt that at that point, things were going to get bad. I mean, the guy was pretty crazy. When the robber leaves, his final take adds up to $317,000. Not bad for a few minutes' work. For Love, it's not until he gets home that night that he's hit with the gravity of what's happened. That morning was just another morning, and it could have been my last, and I don't remember it. And just the thought of seeing that I'm going to go home, I'm, I'm actually going to go home, it's just the most wonderful feeling in the world that I get to breathe again. Love is not the only person to look down the barrel of this robber's gun and see the possibility of death staring back. About seven months later, at another Citibank branch not far from the first, the robber walks off with a little more than $272,000. This time, he's wearing a slightly different disguise, but the way he operates bears his unique signature. His MO was to walk into the bank heavily disguised, usually with a creative disguise that he created himself. He would leap over the counter in a single bound. Assistant U.S. Attorney Renato Mariotti. We're talking about someone here who has extreme physical ability. And then he would point 
the gun at one of the tellers or one of the workers, scare that person, and then he would lead them into the vault and at gunpoint demand that they open the vaults. These so-called takeover-style robberies are much more rare and dangerous than a robbery carried out with a threatening note. In a city that's known its fair share of crooks, the man behind these crimes earns himself a reputation as one of the best. He was probably the most successful bank robber in recent memory in the Chicago area. The FBI linked the robber to over 20 bank robberies, totaling millions of dollars in losses. The robber's creative disguises, which looked like they came from a thrift store, earned him the nickname the Second Hand Bandit. He was a construction worker, and one of them with literally a two by four on his shoulder. There was another one where he had a fisherman's cap with a beard and a pipe. Another one where he had a big Afro-style wig with another large beard and sunglasses. We, and I know the FBI, thought of that as Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. This robber had a flair for the dramatic. Though his disguises may seem comical, those who find themselves in front of his gun are hardly amused. There was one victim in particular from one of the robberies. She, she was just never the same again. She broke down and she has been suffering consequences and mental difficulties from that time ever since. So who is the man dubbed the secondhand bandit? Chicago police detective Dominic Sicola leads an effort to try to figure that out. Sicola gets a break when DNA evidence left on a juice bottle links a career criminal named Joseph Jose Banks to an attempted robbery at a restaurant on Chicago's north side. After arresting him, Sicola talks to Banks' associates and begins to suspect he may be doing more than knocking over breakfast joints. Mr. Banks had a cousin who was eventually picked up and charged and convicted of bank robbery, and he did admit that he did some bank robberies with Jose Banks. The informant says Banks led about 10 takeover-style robberies in Chicago in 2004 and 2005. And while Banks is behind bars, Sicola notices a pattern. When Mr. Banks was in custody awaiting trial, all the robberies, the takeover-style robberies in particular, had ceased. Though police now have a suspect, they still need more info to say that the secondhand bandit is Jose Banks. After all, he hardly seems like your typical stick-up man. Jose Banks fashioned himself to be a clothing designer, a trendy guy who was going to make a splash. And this was a way for him to finance his business. Locked up on allegations he robbed a restaurant, Joseph Jose Banks has become a suspect in the secondhand bandit case. But much to Detective Dominic Sicola's dismay, he's acquitted of the restaurant robbery charges due to lack of sufficient evidence in January 2007. Months later, the takeover-style bank robberies pop up again. When Jose Banks was released based on the disguise the subject wore, the way he moved, the weapon, the area where it was committed, I had a strong feeling this was Jose Banks. Though Banks is now being tailed, he's able to successfully hit two targets. At another attempted robbery, he causes a four-hour standoff before police realize he's already ducked out. 
Sicola is now working on the FBI's Violent Crimes Task Force, and he slowly builds a case against banks. Cell phone data places him in the area of one robbery, and surveillance video shows him inside a thrift store buying clothes that are seen in a robbery committed weeks later. What's more, victims are beginning to get a good look at his face. Mr. Banks made some mistakes towards the end. I think greed got to him. He was overconfident that he would never be caught. He would stay in these banks sometimes for up to eight minutes, which is an extensive long time. So some people got some different looks at him, and we did some photo arrays, and people were able to identify him. With these positive IDs, the feds arrest Banks in September 2008. When they search his property, they find a fake beard and a ski mask. And evidence leads them to a safe deposit box that he has opened. Inside, cops find $42,000 from an earlier bank robbery. Certainly the discovery of the sequentially numbered crisp new bills in Jose Banks's safe deposit box was an important step in the investigation. It directly linked Mr. Banks to a bank robbery. After his arrest, authorities bring Banks to Chicago's Metropolitan Correctional Center, a well-known building, says NBC Chicago reporter Charlie Wojciechowski. This is a rather famous building in downtown Chicago. It rises up right in the middle of the South Loop, and because of the way it's designed with the very thin windows, everyone knows what that is. That's the downtown jail. It's here that Banks shares a cell with another unrelated bank robber. Ken Conley walked into a bank that was located in a chain of grocery stores in the south suburbs of Chicago. Assistant U.S. Attorney John Ness. He walked up to the teller and he told the teller, I've got six bullets in the gun. If you don't give it to me, I'll put them in your head. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Connolly's take is just shy of $4,000, a pittance compared to his cellmate. But the two get to know each other during the years that Banks spends inside MCC leading up to trial. During this time, Banks fires a litany of lawyers, and when he goes to trial in late 2012, he represents himself. Following a four-day trial, a jury takes just two hours to find Banks guilty on two counts of bank robbery and two counts of attempted bank robbery. As the trial wraps up, the secondhand bandit gets in the last word. 
After the jury came back with a guilty verdict, the defendant said that you'll be hearing from me. Renato Miriotti. And I remember, um, without showing it on my face at the time in front of the jury, thinking, yeah, okay, man, uh, you're gonna be in prison for 30 years. I'll see you then. On December 18th, 2012, FBI Special Agent Tim Batcha is assigned to handle crime investigations inside Chicago's high-rise Metropolitan Correctional Center. Five days after Joseph Banks tells a courtroom, you'll hear from me, Tim Batcha finds out what he may have meant. I was contacted by my supervisor, and he said we had an escape at the MCC. And I asked him if it was a walk away. And he said, no, we had two inmates go down the side of the building. And I said, eh, there's no way. Something dangling 17 stories out of Joseph Banks and Ken Connolly's cell indicates that there is a way. NBC News Chicago reporter Charlie Wojciechowski is one of the first people on scene. There wasn't police cordon around the building, so we actually got really close. We're right across the street from the building, right in front of a pawn shop. And we looked up, and there's a rope dangling from one of the windows. Oh, my goodness, they rappelled down the side of the building. I can't tell you how long they worked on it because I don't know, but it certainly was not an overnight endeavor. It is hard for me to imagine someone getting through the window of a cell at the Metropolitan Correctional Center. These are windows that are not normal windows. They're custom-made, they're very thin. So a normal person really couldn't squeeze through a window that size unless they altered some of the stone around it. A portion of the window at the very bottom was removed. The concrete was chipped away just enough to where they could fit their bodies out. When I looked at it, I thought of, wow, this is like Shawshank Redemption. Making that hole and hiding it took some ingenuity. Much fake is a prison term for doing with what you have, just kind of making something work. They were able to mush fake some tools out of some metal to get the concrete chipped away. My understanding is that Mr. Banks and his cellmate created a fake bar that they could insert into the spot where the bar was supposed to be so that it wouldn't look obvious that they had removed the bar from the window. Having chipped their way out and removed part of the window, they've also figured out a way down. It was a real ramshackle rope. This didn't look like anything you'd buy at a true value. It was made of fabric strips. So rather than you know, save a bed sheet, save a pillowcase, they would just tear off a little piece of it and save that. And because of that, no one caught on to it. The rope was made of what we believe is bed sheets. They were braided. There was portions of it that had dental floss to kind of sew in there and, and reinforce the actual rope. Well, one thing we know for sure, Mr. Banks was the one who designed the rope that was used to get out. He admitted that, but he didn't need to admit it to know that the guy who's the clothing designer was the one putting that together. Banks and Connolly's escape from cell 1707 is a feat of daring that clearly impresses even those whose job it was to put them away. I stuck my head out the hole and looked down. I thought, no way, not a chance would I ever do, do that. I cannot imagine having the courage to scale down the side of a building like that from 17 stories up. It was a pretty amazing feat. When they hit the ground at around 2.40 a.m., Conley and Banks, now wearing street clothes, walk to Michigan Avenue and hail a cab. Oddly, jail surveillance cameras capture Banks and Conley on the street 
and a head count at 5 a.m. comes up two prisoners short. But no one at the jail raises an alarm until it becomes glaringly obvious what's happened. This wasn't supposed to be able to happen, yet still it did. Was there someone on the inside who helped them cover up the fact that they were chipping away at the walls? Was the fact that recent government budget cuts had caused a staffing reduction at the MCC? Did that contribute to their ability to escape? Those questions never really got answered. The Bureau of Prisons did not return multiple requests from American Greed for comment. And the response to a Freedom of Information Act request was almost entirely redacted. What is known, though, is that the first day, cops began scouring the city. Hours after the initial discovery, the search leads to Conley's mother's house in the Chicago suburbs. From there, the trail goes cold. To be frank, with the amount of money that Banks had at his disposal, I thought he, you know, he could be literally anywhere. But just days after the escape, authorities learn that Banks hasn't gone far. For many men, love is an undoing. And I think Mr. Banks was looking for his girl somewhere on the north side of Chicago. Late at night on December 20th, law enforcement, guns drawn, enter an apartment in this building. Moments later, they come out with Banks, who's in cuffs, but looks calm. It was kind of the neighborhood he grew up in, and it's probably a little less than five miles from the Metropolitan Correctional Center. You think you have this elaborate plan to get out of prison, you scale 17 stories down the side of a building. I thought that the plan would have been a little better once they hit the ground. Ken Conley still remains at large for two more weeks. Then, on January 4, 2013, local police arrest him at the Scenic Trees apartment complex in Palos Hills, outside Chicago. When FBI agent Tim Batcha is transporting him back to the MCC, Conley has some choice words for him. He said, I'd have choke you out, you ain't. And he looked at me a little later and said, I did it once, what makes you think I won't do it again? I took it as he was referring to escaping. But there will most likely be no more escape attempts for Conley or Banks. Both men are now behind bars at the Bureau of Prisons Notorious Supermax facility in Florence, Colorado. Conley is serving 23 and a half years for his bank robbery and the escape attempt. Banks is serving out a 36-year term for the bank robbery charges. His lawyers say he no longer has access to needle and thread. But in 2014, he finds a new outlet for his creativity, a bold lawsuit which he illustrates with pictures of his breakout. He turned around and sued the jail for allowing him to escape, that they didn't do a good enough job protecting him from himself and the possibility he might commit other crimes. A judge very quickly threw that out. Thanks for listening to the American Read Podcast, presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information.
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.